I'm lost. Oh, she's going to find it for me. Uh, hey, good morning, guys. Hey, can we put our hands together for that performance? That was awesome. Uh, how'd you guys sleep? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I slept pretty well as well. Yeah, we, all, we slept great. We slept great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the pancakes this morning. I, I found that, uh, that butter is really good, but when you put syrup on butter, it just gets that much better. Am I right? It's just like so good. Uh, hey, we're going to be continuing through the book of Jonah this morning, uh, and we are actually going to start by reading Jonah 1, 11 through 2, 10. Ooh, we're going to be like halfway through the book. So you guys can open up your Bibles, flip there for me. That's how we're going to start out this morning. And so as you grab your Bibles, Jonah 1, 11 through 2, 10. All right, and then once you're there, go ahead and stand for me so I know you're ready. All right, Jonah 1.11. All right, we're flipping there. No man left behind. Or woman, thank you. No person. All right, Jonah 1.11, right here. Then the Lord said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows." And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up me my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who, paid high regard, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon dry land. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, as we seek to understand your word, we're seeking to understand you. As you have given us this this not only just story, but the words about this that you desire for us to, to understand who you are and how you work. And so, Lord, this morning, would we actually look to your word and who you are uh, to understand you rather than 
our thoughts or our feelings towards you or what maybe what our culture has said about you? Would we actually find truth where truth is found? Um, and would you help us to do that, Father? Um, and would you get all the credit in it? We love you. Praising is your name. Amen. You be seated. All right, I, I was telling some people uh, last night, yesterday maybe, that uh, one of my New Year's resolutions is not to eat healthy, but to eat healthier. Uh, that's my goal as I talk about eating butter. Um, my, my goal is to eat healthier, but actually the main resolution that I have that I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to run a whole marathon this year, which is pretty insane. Like, I can't believe that I'm actually seeking to run 26.2 miles in one go. Uh, I, I am not naturally a runner, if you will. Like, that's just not something that comes naturally to me. I mean, I feel like I've been a little athletic throughout my entire life, but I really found out that I wasn't a runner about 10 years ago. I was working in college uh, as an RA, which means I oversaw my floor, like I was in charge uh, of the leader on my floor of guys. Uh, and my boss's husband uh, asked all the RAs, all the guys, like, hey, would you guys want to do this challenge with me and my friends? And at the time, uh, my boss's husband was like in his mid-30s, and me being like 19 years old, and I'm like, Whatever this challenge is, I've got it. Like, this is going to be so easy. He's like, okay, well, we call it the West Coast Challenge. What we're going to do is we're going to show up at the beach, and we're going to go drive down to Dana Point, which you guys don't need to know where that is, but, and then we're going to run to Laguna. It's about seven miles along the coast. And every time we're going to run until we reach a spot where you can't run on the beach anymore because you have to swim out around the rocks and go a little bit further, get back to the beach and keep running. So it's about seven miles along the coast, but it adds up with the swimming around the rocks. And like, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, the furthest I've ever run is a mile, but like, I'm in shape. I could do this. Uh, so me and the other guys, uh, we show up to do the West Coast Challenge, and this is how we look. There's a, there's a picture there. It's hard to see, but it's, you've got uh, a bunch of us like the younger guys, showing up in just board shorts. That's all we showed up in. It was like, okay, we're going to do this on the beach. We're just going to wear board shorts. All the older guys decided we're going to wear wetsuits. We're going to bring fins. We're going to have gel packs in order for us to have the energy to keep going. And we're going to be ready for the elements that we're heading into. I kid you not, I almost died that day. Like, I was not ready for this kind of challenge. I did not show up prepared for what was going to be happening. As soon as they pulled all their stuff out, I actually thought it was funny. Like, you're not going to need that. You're not going to need it. We're just running on the beach and swimming. But it turns out uh, that, it, that I needed it, actually, that I was not ready. There was a point during the third swim. There was about eight swims. During the third swim, I was so exhausted that I was pulling seaweed to keep going. And I, I had this moment where I thought, like, I think this might be it. I might die trying to, like, in my prideful state of just trying to prove how athletic I am. I just, I wasn't ready. I assumed I was so athletic and capable of doing it, but really when I showed up, I wasn't prepared. Have you guys ever had, like, an assumption of something and shown up, like, unprepared? Like maybe for a test, you thought like, oh, I, I know the material. I know where I'm going. And you show up and you're like, I don't know the material. I don't know where we're going. This is going to be really hard. All of us have make assumptions all the time. And truth is, all of us make assumptions about who God is. Every one of us have assumptions about who God is and what he's doing. Some of us uh, assume that, that God is just, he doesn't want to be known. He doesn't really care. Some of us assume that, that God is inaccessible, like we actually can't seek him. Some of us assume that he's not even trustworthy. Can we really trust him? 
Some of us assume that actually God is just boring and a fun sucker. We just have these assumptions of him, and, and we see, like in my story and with ourselves, that our assumptions lead to action. When we assume something, we actually respond to it accordingly. But I want to remind us, I want to tell us today that God is who he is no matter what our assumptions about him are. Your assumptions of who God is does not determine who he is. God is who he is no matter how we are showing up. But the fact is, is we can't remain in our assumptions. We can't just allow our assumptions to define him because he is who he is. And so we have to seek him out. Jonah, in this point in the story, is being reminded of who God is. He was responding with his own assumptions that it was better for him to run off the other way. It was a better heart reflex to go running off to Tarshish than to go over to Nineveh. And we get to this point in the story in the beginning of uh, halfway through chapter 1, in verse 11 through 16, we reach this point where Jonah is on the ship and the only option is to throw him overboard. I'm the problem. Throw me over. There's nothing that we can do about this. I mean, the funny part is, is like, couldn't Jonah have like prayed? Couldn't Jonah have actually turned to God in this moment and said, I'm going to go back? But he's like, ah, only option, throw me over. I've got to die here. Like he's so stubborn in this moment. This is the best option in his mind. But this is where Jonah is and this is what he settled on. But I kind of want to point out in verse 13, take a look at it with me. This response of the sailors who are with him. When he said that, throw me overboard, he said, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Even though Jonah said, hey, I'm the problem, you got to throw me overboard, that's the only solution, the people who did not know God were like, no, that's not what we're going to do. What? What? You've got Jonah, this guy who's following after God, a prophet, his Bluetooth speaker, saying, oh, this is the only option you got to do this. And these people are like, no, we're not going to throw you overboard. We're going to try to figure this out. It's funny how backwards things are in this moment. Shouldn't Jonah be the one who's living faithfully, but these guys are trying to do the right thing? But ultimately, we see <laughs> that Jonah ends up getting thrown overboard like a, like a bunch of cargo. Like they just toss him over and said, okay, well, we're going to keep going. But in that they, they pray to God and say, God, would you forgive us for this? This seemed to be the only option. And then one of the strangest but also coolest moments in the Bible, it's one that we talk about in Sunday school all the time. In verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Whale Airbnb, right here. Just Jonah gets swallowed up and survives in the belly of a whale. What a miracle. What a unique thing for God to do. Of like, this is how I'm going to sustain Jonah, is I'm going to keep him alive in a fish. Like, it baffles me that God is capable of doing this, but we're, there's story after story of God doing bigger miracles than even this moment. But he keeps Jonah alive. He's not done with him yet. There's actually a, a lobster diver off of a the coast of Massachusetts, I think it was last summer, that got swallowed by a whale and survived. I don't, did you guys see that? I, I tried pulling up a video. I, 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 I literally I, I watched a video last summer of it actually happening, his own footage, and I can't find it. But anyways, some guy got swallowed by a whale, not as long as Jonah. It was about like a minute, and he survived. He also had a, a bunch of scuba gear. But can you imagine being in the belly of a fish? Would you think that would be comfortable? No, I don't think so either. But how would you get, how'd he get out? I don't know. He, he did, though. 
He, I think he probably like punched the fish or something. Just keep going crazy. Uh, but he survived to tell the tale. And so with that, Jonah is in the belly of a fish. We don't fully understand how it's going, but he's alive and he's able in this moment to be praying to God. Take a moment to consider this. Jonah's running away from God. Jonah's got his heart reflex going on. I'm running away. I'm relying on myself. I'm deceiving myself. And then he's in this situation where he thinks he's going to die. And God saves his life, keeps him alive in the belly of a fish. And he realizes, oh my goodness, just like we saw Jojo in the trash can. What am I doing? What am I doing? God has done so much for me. And yet I'm trying to run away. Even when Jonah was in such a horrible situation, he doesn't allow his circumstances to define who God is in this moment. He allows God to define himself. And guys, I I don't want us to miss this. So often we're going to be tempted to allow what's going on in our life to define who God is. But God has made abundantly clear who he is. He is greater than us. He's above us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is who he is, whether or not we fully get it. And uh, have any of you guys been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, a few of you. I, I grew up in Arizona, and I actually have never been to the Grand Canyon. I lived there for the first 10 years of my life, and I've still never been there. But imagine, if you were, could, do we have a picture? Perfect. Uh, imagine being in the Grand Canyon. Look how deep that is. I, I don't know the, the diameter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the measurements of the Grand Canyon, but maybe I'll look it up later. Imagine being in the Grand Canyon, and you were told, okay, oh, right, you're supposed to so like, seek to understand the Grand Canyon, but all I give you is a magnifying glass. You just need to go around and keep looking to understand it. You're going to be so zoomed in on the rocks before you that you're missing the whole picture of taking a step back and seeing what it truly is. You're not going to know how deep it is. You're not going to know how wide it is. You're not going to know how beautiful it is because you're so close to the rock with the magnifying glass. I think that's a helpful picture of what our lives look like, is that we are so zoomed in on what God has for us and what is before us that we are actually missing the whole picture when God is so much further away and he knows everything that's going on. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He understands what he's doing, and he is working in our lives whether we see it or not. So many of us, with our magnifying glasses, as we go around, we, we make these assumptions of who God is. And I think there's a few of them that I kind of want to confront for us today, of things that we sometimes think of God or the ways that we treat God. Some of us believe that, that God is just an imaginary friend, that he's like helpful for some people, but it's like, is he really there? He's not, he doesn't really matter. He's just like somebody who uh, people talk about, keep around like a, like a pet. And they, some people believe that that's who God is. Some people believe that God is like a RoboCop, the 1987 uh, cult classic movie of a guy who, who, who was a police officer and he dies and they bring him back to life as a cop, as a robot cop, um, and he fights crime. Ha! And RoboCop is like, he doesn't miss crime. He's on the lookout and he's going like, to respond immediately to it. We think that God is a RoboCop, that he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you when you make a mistake. And we think that, oh man, I don't want to mess up before him because I'm going to get the response of RoboCop and he's going to come busting through the door. And we think of God in that way. Some of us think of God as like 
the president or some sort of politician. We recognize that he's a great leader and he's got a lot of power, but he's super distant. Like he's just far away and inaccessible. Like I cannot call Joe Biden and get a response. Like he's not going to call me back. I promise you that. He's got bigger fish to fry. But the fact is, is that some of us think of God in that way of like, okay, God, you're good, you're powerful, but you've got, you've got bigger things to attend to than me. Some of us are, are tempted to believe that God is just a genie, that he's there to make your wishes come true, that it's just like, okay, I'm in a, I have a relationship with God, I can ask him for whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me because he's here to serve me. And then some of us, few of us, but some of us actually view God as a terrorist, that he's just trying to make my life the worst he possibly can. I think we're tempted to believe these things, that God's an imaginary friend, a robocop, a president, a genie, a terrorist, or so many other things based off of what we see with our magnifying glasses in our lives, that we're just basing it off our lives experience or maybe something that someone else has told us. But those are false depictions of God. That is not who God is in Scripture, and that is not who God is in reality. These are false ideas of who God is. And we see who God is all throughout scripture. And especially even in this prayer that Jonah makes as he's calling out to God from the belly of a whale, we see who God is on display. And I think it's helpful for us to actually take a closer look at Jonah's prayer to see God's character. The first thing, don't miss this, God is available. In Jonah 2.2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You guys know that God is everywhere? The, the word that we, we usually use is omnipresent. Omni meaning all, meaning God is all present. He is in every single place. There is nowhere that God is not, including in space and time. That God is in all places. There is nowhere that God is not. I grew up believing um, in like that false idea of God being like a president of just like, I thought that God was real, but really far away. Like I just had this idea, like it makes sense that God exists, but he must have spun the world and walked away because why would he care about humans? Like why would he care about us so small compared to who he is? So I had this, this belief that it was just like, okay, God is real, but he's not available. God is available though. This is exactly what we see as he's praying to him. It couldn't be further from the truth believing that God isn't available. God is near you, and he's actually one who listens. And he listens to you, not like distracted on his phone, but he actually gives you his attention. Our God is one who is available and near to us, which is funny. I mean, I've been there, and I felt it myself, but it's like so often prayer feels like such a chore, like we have to go and pray but the fact that the creator of the universe is so near to us that all we have to do is start talking and he's listening is so powerful. If we actually consider that you can talk to God and he wants you to talk to him, he invites you to talk to him. What a gift that is, that God is available to each of us and that God desires for each of us to know that he's available. If you've ever uh, read any of the Psalms, that's a great depiction of how available God is, that we're able to bring all of our emotions to him, everything that we're going through, that he invites that. God is available. The second thing, that God is merciful. Look at Jonah 2.5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of mountains. 
I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. God is merciful. In mercy meaning that it's receiving or not receiving punishment when you deserve it. And you see that Jonah is looking at his account of just like, I deserve God's judgment for running from him, and yet God continues to sustain me. God, thank you for pulling my life out of the pit. Thank you for actually saving my life when I did not deserve it. God is so merciful towards every single one of us. Remember what we said last night? What does sin deserve? Death. And yet so many of us have already been guilty of sinning even today, and yet we're still breathing. That we have a laundry list of times that we've, we've sinned, and yet we continue to live. That is all because of God's mercy, that he withholds punishment from us because of his mercy, that he loves us even though we don't deserve it. He is so patient. I think it's hard for us to believe it because that's so backwards in our culture. Like when somebody wrongs you, like imagine a friend of yours does something that you don't want them to do. They wrong you. They talk badly about you. What are you just so tempted to do? It's like you're, you're tempted to, to confront them. Or maybe if you're like me, you're tempted to actually push them away of just like, I'm just going to give you distance, maybe even so much that you just ghost them. And you're like, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist because that's the best way I think I know how to hurt you. We just try to respond when people hurt us and do things wrong to us. And yet, what does God do? He continues to love and offer mercy to us. That is not the way our world works. And yet, that's how the, our God works. He is merciful. Number three, God is good. Look at Jonah 2.9. But I, with this voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I love that Jonah, from the belly of a fish, is praising God for who he is. And I want to ask this question. Like who, what defines what is good? What do you think? Like, you don't have to shout it out, but what defines what is good? We kind of just have this idea of what is good and what is bad, but who defines it? Well, God, of course. But does he just like arbitrarily just start pointing at things and saying, good, bad, good, bad? Like when he was creating the universe, he's just like, I'm just going to make this random list of things like, "Mm, murder. No, that sounds bad. Maybe not. Just don't do that. Uh, Helping old ladies across the street. No, that one's good. Like he's not just like making a, a random list, but instead he is the bar. He is the ruler of what is good. God is good in and of himself, so he defines what is good because it's like him. So God is the definition of true goodness. Our idea of goodness is actually just a reflection of who he is, which is also worth saying that God is not responsible for the evil in this world. Satan is. We are because of our sin. We are responsible. Satan's responsible for the evil in this world. But yet God is so good that he somehow uses evil for good. He is able to use the evil to move it in a way that's ultimately going to glorify him. Once again, with our magnifying glasses in this life, we are looking in and we're like, how is that even possible? But I know that when we are looking back at the end of time, when we look back and we see, oh my goodness, God, you were at work all along. Somehow you were doing something so beautiful in this. God is so good. And then this last one we see, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And you see this, I mean, throughout the entire story of Jonah. The fact that 
that this storm happens, that God causes a storm to happen, that God causes or he appoints a fish to swallow up Jonah. And then he appoints, he causes the fish to throw Jonah up in uh, the end of chapter two, that God is in control of all of these things at once. What does sovereign mean? It means to super reign, to like reign like a king. And so like God is reigning over everything, meaning he's never not been in control. Has your life ever felt like it's out of control? Yeah, I can relate to that. It can feel like it's so out of control, but we realize that God is the one at the helm. He's the one steering the ship and he is in control and he knows what he's doing. He's not shocked by anything because he has the power and the plans to make everything he wants to happen, happen. And I know when we talk about sovereignty, I know there's those things in the back of our mind of like, okay, if God's in control, how do these bad things happen? How is God allowing hard things to happen in my life? And can I just pause and say, that's a great question. That's such a good question. And I can't just like give you a simple answer that's going to solve it and you'll never ask that question again. But I truly believe if God is these things that he wants us to lean in and acknowledge that he is control, in control. He's able to use all things for our good and for his glory. God is in control and he knows what he's doing. I promise you that. That our circumstances shouldn't define who God is, but his word and who he is should define who he is. God is available, he is merciful, he is good, he is sovereign, and he is so much more than those things. But that's what we see in the story of Jonah. Such a clear picture of who he is. But you know where we get the clearest picture in my mind, where we get the clearest picture of who God is? We see it in Christ, we see it in Jesus. That God would actually look at us in our, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our problem, when we're standing on our ladders and there's no way we can make our way up to the sun, he comes down to us. And he comes down to us as one of us. He takes on human flesh, God in a bod. He embodies us so that he can be with us and he can change everything. In Luke 22, you can flip there if you'd like. It's also going to be on the screen. But in Luke 22, you see this point when it's at the end of Jesus' life where Jesus is uh, about to go to the cross and he's wrestling with the fact that he's going he's gonna to take on the cross for humanity. And it's this moment where, remember, Jesus is God in the bod, where he's wrestling with, oh my goodness, I have to, I have to die. I have to do this for all of people. This is going to be really painful. This is going to be really hard. I'm going to feel separated from you, Father. And it's this really complex, difficult thing. And he's wrestling with it moments before he's about to be taken away. But remember, Jesus is the same God, the same available, merciful, good, and sovereign God. And look at what it says in verses uh, 41 through 44. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. This intense moment as Jesus is about to go to the cross, as he knows that this is something that he has to do, he's wrestling with this moment. And he's saying, Father, would you remove this cup from me? Or saying, like, is this the way that it has to be? 
This is going to be so painful and so hard. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. There's so much tension in his heart as he's praying this prayer that he's bleeding as he prays because it's so stressful. And I love this. I love what Jesus prays here specifically, that he's saying, take this cup away from me. This is going to be so hard. I don't think, like, this is going to be the hardest thing that has ever happened. And yet, your will needs to be done, Father. We need to follow through with this. As we look at Jesus being the embodiment of God being available, merciful, good, and sovereign, there's two things in this prayer that Jesus makes that I want, to, I want us to just understand. The first thing is that God is most for his plans because he's most for himself. God is most for his plans because he's most for himself. Which might be like kind of a head scratcher of like, what do you mean, Tony, that God is most for himself? Well, God is all about himself, which might sound really prideful because when we're all about ourselves, it's like, wow, that guy has like got a big head. But God is the greatest thing in the universe, and so he is all about himself. There's no one greater than God. He's all about his own glory and everyone recognizing his glory because of how great it is to recognize who he is. God is all about his plans. And so it's important for this to happen. This is the, the, the most powerful, most glorious thing that could ever happen is making sure that God's plans continue to happen. But then the second thing that just baffles me, and it should baffle you too, is that God's plan includes offering himself to you. God's plan includes offering himself to you. So once again, our heart's reflex when things happen in our lives, is sin. is like to, to put ourselves first, to not reflect God. God's heart reflex to us is love. God's heart reflex to us is to be available, to be merciful, to be good, to be sovereign, to show up in our lives. Even when we are throwing sin at, sin at him, he responds with love. It is not what we expect. It is not something that we assume of God in our life circumstances. This is so different. Do you believe this? Do you think this is actually true or am I just kind of making up a, a good fairy tale story? Because if this is true, this impacts our life significantly that God would show up for each of us changes everything. If you believe this, man, keep going. Keep pressing in. There's going to be hard times to believe it, but lean in. If you don't, let me ask the question, why not? What's holding you back? What is it that is like, man, this is just hard to believe because fill in the blank. Would you be brave enough to actually bring that up in your cabin time? Would you be willing to not just like put on a face or a front, but be real with the people who you're here with, with your churches? Man, there's not a, a greater decision you can make today, right now, in that response. The crazy part about this is if, that is if this is true, then man, there is so much good to come. Our, 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 our difficulties, our suffering in this life, man, it can blind us. Like I said, we're so zoomed in, we can miss it, but there's a bigger picture. As I think of my own story, uh, I shared it this summer, um, but uh, I was born into a family where my, my birth mom was a drug addict and my birth dad was like working like all the time. And long story short, my, my birth parents ended up fighting and separating from each other. 
and didn't know what to do. And so my birth dad was just going to put me and my brother in foster care. And it was like, I'm a year old. I don't remember any of this. But you, I mean, I feel like these are the stories we hear of, of like, oh my goodness, that is so scary. So as a, a, a one-year-old kid, both my parents were, were giving up on me. That's, my sto- that, like, that's how my story begins. And when you're so zoomed in on that, you think, where can this go? Can this be good? Can any good come of this situation? When we're so zoomed in on the story, we think, oh man, this suffering, there's no way out of it. But then you take a step back and you look at my entire life of what I've experienced, what I've gone through, and the people who took me in, my aunt and uncle who adopted me, who got married at 19 and 20 so they could adopt me and my brother, and the fact that God would bring me to faith when I was in high school and then use me in my family's life so that my parents would come to know Jesus and my sisters would come to know Jesus, my brother would come to know Jesus, through that, that God would plant me in this family so intentionally so a whole family could be transformed. It's insane. I take a step back and I realize, oh my goodness, if I was so zoomed in on the suffering I experienced as a one-year-old kid, I would miss the whole picture of what God's doing. God is up to something bigger in our lives, whether or not we understand it. There's a bigger story at play. He is in control. He is working. He is doing so much. God is up to something. And our assumptions of him do not determine who he is. He wants us to seek out who he truly is. And that we can trust him and that he is going to continue to work. Tonight we're going to see specifically how God truly interacts with us in our sin, where we've got this God of who he is and us of who we are when we collide, what actually happens. I'm excited for us to get there. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we just pause and think of you. We set our hearts and our minds on you. And God, I, I pray that you would make so clear for each of us in this room that you are not just a good idea, but that you are real. You are present and you are working. God, would you even just make your your presence known today through a conversation, through just a moment of even peace, through a realization, through reading your word? God, would you work through everyone's lives in this room for your glory to be known and for lives to be transformed? God, that's what you want and that's what I want and would you help us to want that as well? We thank you, Father, that you are a God who is so much greater than we can ever understand And yet you continue to ask us to seek you. We love you. Praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen.